Good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here, and really excited about our New Year series. How many times have you uh, had somebody at the store say, have a blessed day? Uh, we probably all had that. You know, Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, what's often called the Beatitudes, just the first nine verses. He says, blessed are those, and then fill in the blank. You know, the blessed, the word blessed has a lot of meanings. It can mean kind of the idea of fortunate or happy. And so imagine if you could have more than a blessed day. What if you could have a blessed year, right? Or even a blessed life. And so we're really excited about this new New Year series where we're going to unpack the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes that we hope will encourage you to walk in the blessings of the Lord. All right, church, go ahead and get out your Bibles and also your notes as well. You know, we give you these notes every single week, and also they're available in the app because simply a lot of times what you write down is actually better for you or easier for you to remember what you actually write down. So each week we get out these notes. Um, so as we're going through these Bible passages, hopefully what you hear, you can also put into practice because we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. Uh, you know, one of the passages of scripture that we will mention all the time and quite often is something called the great commandment. And it's found in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. As we study God's word, we want to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and mind, and with all of our strength. So here's a little bit of um, insider information of what we're often trying to teach you here when you come on a Sunday morning. Because we believe when we open God's word, there's usually a couple of things that you're going to see. So every single week when we're teaching God's word, here's some insider information on what we're trying to get across, what we're trying to teach you, what we even believe that the word of God is showing us. Uh, the first thing is something to know, okay? And when we're thinking about something to know, we need to be asking ourselves the question, is there something that I need to change about my thinking? Is there something I need to change about what I've been thinking? And is my thinking rooted in the truth? Because God's word is truth. Look, if there's something that is happening in our minds, in our lives, or even in our culture right now, that's the opposite of what God's word says, it's not God who needs to change his mind. It's not God who needs to change what he's thinking. It's us who needs to change. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, talks about how all scriptures God breathed. All of it is God breathed and is useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every single good work. So something to know. Is there something that I need to change about my thinking? And is my thinking rooted in the truth? But also there's something to feel. And we need to ask ourselves the question, look, is what I'm feeling right now rooted in the truth? Sometimes what we're feeling right now is not rooted in the truth at all. In fact, sometimes we may be feeling crazy anxious in a season, not necessarily because our worlds really are out of control. We might be feeling crazy anxious in a season because you've been drinking too much coffee on a, on a weekday. And all that caffeine makes us more and more anxious. Sometimes we're feeling anxious or overwhelmed in a season because we don't see Jesus in a proper position in our lives. So we need to think, okay, is what I'm feeling right now, is it rooted in the truth? Because our emotions are indeed God-given. 
In fact, they can even help us reflect the very heart of God, but our emotions are not God. But every single week as we look at God's word, our emotions, we need to put them into check and see, look, uh, and what, and what I'm, is what I'm really feeling right now, is that rooted in the truth? But then there's also something to do. And we need to ask ourselves the question, look, are my actions right now lining up with what is true? And do I need to take a step? Are the patterns of behavior that are being built in my life right now a result of the gospel and following God's will and his ways? Again, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. Jesus even said, look, if you love me, if you love me with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, he says, you will do what I command. Something to know, something to feel, something to do. So each week as we take a step in this new series, I want to challenge you in this new year to be thinking for something to know, to be looking for something to feel and something to do. And is there something that you need to take a step on in this season? Today we start a brand new series that's simply called Blessed. And can I just tell you something today? God wants to bless you. God wants you to experience happiness. Now, it may not seem that way at times, especially when what you are experiencing or what you are feeling, it seems like the opposite of that. When it seems like we're participating in and we're experiencing all the brokenness that's found in the world. But see, God wants to build a foundation and a life of blessing in you and in your family. But sometimes it is not in the way that we think. Right now, if you were to go on Instagram and do a a search for the hashtag blessed, you would find over 145 million posts with the hashtag blessed in it. People saying things like, I finally got rid of my cat, hashtag blessed. People saying things like, hey, I'm eating some pancakes right now, hashtag blessed. People making posts like, the Dallas Cowboys lost to the Washington Commanders last week, hashtag blessed. But is that what blessing looks like? Now, it's, it is a good thing to praise God, even for the little things that he blesses us with. But oftentimes when we look at blessing, we're thinking about the promotion that we might get when we get an up-close parking space at Target or when the weather is good outside. But the blessings of God go so much further and so much deeper than that. God wants to bless you, and he wants you to experience his happiness but it's often not in the way that we feel, that we even know in our world. I titled today's message, Good Grief, because we are often, we're going to see that being poor in spirit and even mourning aren't as bad as people often think they are. In fact, Christians have often been said or often have said, look, when when it comes to the, the challenging things that happen in your life, When it comes to those things, like don't focus on those things that may be painful or hard. Only focus on what is good or what it is that makes you happy. But for the believer in Jesus, there is a blessing that comes when we are poor in spirit and even when we mourn well. So today, before I get started, I wanted to take a moment. And usually usually I pray for you. 
But today I want you to pray for you, okay? So we're going to take a moment and I'm going to lead you in a couple of kind of prayer prompts as we get ready to jump into the very first part of this message today called Blessed, looking at the Beatitudes. So once you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes, okay? And while you're right there, while you're sitting in this room, why don't you just take a moment between you and God, right there, silently where you are, man, would you just praise and thank God for something? Thank him for who he is. Praise him for what he's done. Now, if you can't think of anything, man, just praise God that he's given you another day. Praising that right now you have a bunch of people sitting in this room who are in your corner as well. You have a body of Christ right next to you. Now, would you just say, God, what do I need to know? God, is there something right now in my thinking I need to change? God, what do you want me to know today? Now, would you pray and ask God, what do you want me to feel? God, help my feelings to line up with your truth. God, my emotions aren't yours or aren't Lord. God, you're Lord. God, what do you want me to feel? Now, pray and ask him, God, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, empower me. Strengthen me. Strengthen me to do what is your will. God, what do you want me to do? Father God, we are so grateful to know you. And God, I do pray that today that we would know, Lord, what it is that you want us to know from your word. Lord, this was written 2,000 years ago. But Lord, we need it today. So Lord, what do you want us to know? But God, what do you want us to feel? God, our, the, 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 the feelings or the emotions that you've given us, Lord, they are from you. Lord, they can even reflect you. Uh, they can bring you glory. God, they can help us. God, they can help others. But, Lord, they are not Lord. You are. Our emotions aren't designed to lead us. You are. So, God, even with that, God, what do you want us to feel? God, help our feelings, our emotions, or to come into alignment with what you want. And, God, what do you want us to do? God, on behalf of our church, I, just want, I know, Lord, there is more that you want to give us. God, I know there is more you want to do in us and through us. God, I know there's more you need to break down in us, God. We don't want to be burdened or held back or even enslaved to our sin. God, we want to find freedom in you. God, we want to find freedom in your grace and your forgiveness. So again, Lord, where do we need to take a step? Lord, where do you need to lead us? God, we're ready for the more that you want to do in us, Lord, lead us. God, what do you want us to do? We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Listen to what Jesus says here, what Matthew records as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up, up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, there are four things today from these verses. Something to know, something to feel, 
and something to do. Number one, church, write this down. Jesus sees the whole picture and he sees the person. Jesus sees everything. He sees the whole picture, but he also sees the person. Look, I know we just read it, but look back again at what he says here in verse 1. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. I want you to look back at that one particular phrase in verse 1 where it says, seeing the crowds. Jesus saw the crowds. Now, first of all, this was no small crowd that was following Christ. In fact, if you read at the end of Matthew chapter 4, you'll see that there, it actually says that there was a group of people from something called the, the Decapolis that was following Jesus. Decapolis means a group of 10 cities. So this crowd that was following Jesus to this mountainside was a group of people from 10 different cities that were coming to hear from Jesus. Now, at this point, Jesus had already turned the water into wine. He had already had the Father speak from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He'd already began to preach and was teaching all around. So there was a large crowd that was beginning to follow him. He had already called his 12 disciples. But see, Matthew notes here that Jesus saw the crowd. Now, in the original language, look, it does mean that he saw the people in the crowd. Like, I'm seeing all of you today. Like, he literally saw the people that were in the crowd. But in the original language, that word seeing can also mean to know, to pay attention to, to understand, to see. So two quick things about that. And I know this is some Bible nerd stuff that I'm about to tell you right here, but this is so good, okay? The Bible is so rich. Like, this is so good, the word of God. It's so rich in its meaning. So first, Jesus seeing the crowds means that he knew them. It means that he knew everything about the people that were in the crowd that day. Look, Jesus wasn't just some rabbi or some other first century teacher or some social media influencer who was trying to get noticed back in the first century. He was God. He was omniscient. Now, how many of you guys have heard that term before, that God is omniscient? It means he's all-knowing. How many of you guys have heard that term before? Now, how many of you guys have known someone who thinks that they are also all-knowing? Raise your hand up. Okay, now point to them if they're sitting in this room. Okay, don't do that. Look, I think many of us have heard that phrase before, that God is omniscient. But have you ever thought about what that means? It means that he knows everything. Sometimes I think about that with just my life alone. I think that God knows every single thought that I've been thinking, every single action that I've done, that he knows everything that I did think in the past, everything that I have, th I have done in the past, but he also knows everything I will think about or everything I will do in the future. But it's not just me. It's every single person sitting in this room. He knows every single thought that you're thinking right now. He knows every single action that you've done across your entire lifetime. He knows everything that you're going to think and do in the future. But not just that. Not just the people in this room. Uh, it, studies show that probably in human history, there have probably been over 100 billion people who have lived on this planet. 
But God knows every single detail about every single one of those people. To think he knows every single thing that they thought in their past, every single thing that they did, every single thing that they did across their lifetime. Even right now, there's 8 billion people on this planet. God knows every single detail about them. Church, sometimes I'm reading one news article with a lot of information, and my mind feels overwhelmed like I need to take a nap. But to think God knows every single detail about all of you. He is omniscient. He is all, he's all-knowing. He knows every single detail. In fact, um, theologian Dr. Wayne Grudem, he even says it this way. He says, look, God's eternity may be defined as follows. Look, God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being. And he sees all time equally vividly. Yet God sees events in time and also acts in time. So it means that God can even stand outside of our timeline, past, present, and future, and he can see everything all at one time. And I don't know about about you, but is your mind hurting just a little bit trying to process even just all of that information? But God knows everything. In fact, the writer of Psalm chapter 90 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever, you have formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, from eternity to eternity, from infinity to infinity, you are God. And how many know that Jesus, again, wasn't just some other teacher. He was God in flesh here on earth. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to some of the Pharisees that were around him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he was saying to this group of people that before your ancestor existed over a thousand years ago, before he ever existed, he was there. Jesus was there. In fact, they knew this because they even picked up stones to throw at Jesus to kill him because they knew that he was actually identifying himself as God. And then Jesus, while he was here on earth, he knew the thoughts that were in people's minds. Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think such evil thoughts in your hearts? Jesus knew what was in the very minds of people, knew what was in their hearts. But there's something I want you to know. Because, yes, Jesus saw the crowd. He knew everyone that was sitting in the crowd that day. He knew everything about them, everything that they were thinking. But, yes, he sees the crowd, but he also sees the one. Yes, he saw everyone sitting out there, but yes, he also saw every individual person. And so even for us today, yes, he sees the crowd, but Jesus sees you. And he knows every single thing about you. He knows every single thing that you've thought today, what you've done in your past. He knows every single detail, and I mean everything. Yet he doesn't run away. In fact, he wants to be close. You know, I really do think if you could actually look inside the mind of the person sitting next to you today, you might scoot over a couple of chairs. If you knew, if you knew some of the thoughts that were flowing through this pastor's mind, you might even stop coming to this church. But Jesus knows. And he doesn't want to run away. He wants to be close to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So again, knowing the crowd, 
knowing what was going through their minds. It says that Jesus saw the crowd, knowing everything about them. He doesn't run away, but it says that he sat down. Now, back in the first century, when a rabbi or teacher would sit down, it was actually a sign of his authority. In fact, the rabbi or teacher would sit down, and the rest of the crowd or the disciples around them would actually remain standing to recognize the authority of this rabbi. So it says that Jesus sat down, knowing the crowd, seeing the crowd, understanding the things that they have gone through, that they have been through, that they will go through, all the things that they thought, the deepest parts of their heart, knowing everything about them. It says that he sat down and he opened his mouth and he says this to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Church, number two, write this down, okay? Jesus wants to provide you his blessing. He wants to provide you his blessings. Look, there's a phrase that often gets circulated around in church world and Christian world, and this is the phrase, okay? The phrase is, God doesn't want you happy, he wants you holy. God doesn't want you happy, he wants you holy. Now, that is true to a certain extent, in fact, you may even hear me say a phrase like that from time to time, even in passing. But here's what us pastor folk mean by that. And here's what even some well-meaning Christians mean by saying a phrase like that. First of all, God doesn't want you primarily happy in the way that culture says that happiness is found. Like culture doesn't get to define what real happiness looks like. But oftentimes we're looking at what culture, our world has defined as happiness, and that's the way that we begin to define happiness. In fact, here are some of the ways that culture typically defines happiness. Uh, the first way is by being wealthy. Uh, you know, in other words, having some of the nicest things or the nicest possessions or experiences. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that God wants you poor, okay? That's not what I'm saying. In fact, people have even used this verse saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, saying, look, God does want you to sell everything you have, and he wants you to be poor while you're here on earth. And that's not what this passage is saying. But what it's saying is, what it's asking us, or when we're looking at the way the world defines happiness, we have to ask ourselves the question, look, is our happiness primarily rooted in our stuff? Look, are you only experiencing joy when you buy something? Are you only experiencing joy or are you even medicating your anxiety or your possessions with your possessions? Look, are you looking at all the things that you've gotten and using that to medicate what's going on in your life? Are you finding your happiness solely in your wealth, even more so than your relationship with God? Sometimes culture defines happiness as being carefree or, or even the opposite of that, being too busy. Less responsibility is going to make you happy. The more you can sit down and do nothing, like that is the blessing that you're ultimately looking for in life. Come on, if you can get to that point in your life where you're sitting on the beach, sipping a pina colada all day and not bathing at all, like that is real life. If you can ultimately get to that. Or the opposite of that. Man, being so busy, getting your hustle on all the time, look, that is what brings you happiness. When you're showing people just how important you are, and you're so busy, like that is what's going to bring you joy. But it is the opposite in the kingdom of God. Or right now, culture kind of shows us that 
Some of your best happiness is found when, when you get some status, when you're being an influencer, maybe getting some of those blue check marks on social media, when you have people following you, more followers, more attention, the more happier you're going to be. In fact, the Pharisees saw their influence and their prominence often dissipating when Jesus was around, so much so that they even wanted to kill Jesus. But Jesus pushes back on all of this, against all these ideas, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look, Jesus wants to provide you his blessings, but that blessing doesn't often look like what we want or even what we know. In fact, this section of the scripture is called the Beatitudes, and uh, that word Beatitude actually comes from the Latin word beatitido, which it comes from this Greek word markarios, which simply means to be happy, to be fortunate, or to be blissful. Author and pastor Warren Wiersbe, he had this good definition looking at the original language and looking at the biblical definition of blessed, and he says this. He says, look, this is inner satisfaction, or satis, satis, how do you say that word? Satisfaction. That's it. <laughs> it is inner satisfaction and sufficiency that did not depend on outward circumstances for happiness. You could almost read this passage here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Church, God wants to bless you. He wants you to experience his happiness. But it's not in the way that we usually think. Happy are the poor in spirit. You know, this is really similar to when we talk about joy here. In fact, joy and happiness in the Bible are often used interchangeably. Joy and happiness in Scripture are like two sides of the same coin, but ultimately, they are found in the Lord. They are found in Christ despite our circumstances. Jesus wants to provide you with his blessing he wants to provide you with this happiness, something to know, something to feel, something to do. And write this down, number three. We don't have to hide how poor we really are. Look, we don't have to hide how poor we really are. Then right beneath that, put being poor in spirit is a blessing. Being poor in spirit is a blessing. Look, Jesus knew them. He really knew them. So it means that he knew what their greatest need was. And their greatest need wasn't more silver or gold. Their greatest need wasn't more prominence or prestige. It was seeing just how spiritually bankrupt and broken because of sin they really are. And sometimes before you even know where you need to go, you have to take a moment and evaluate where you really are. And their greatest need was seeing just how bankrupt spiritually they really were. And then there was nothing that they could do to fix that on their own. And it's a reminder that we are utterly spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. But it's also a reminder that God is utterly and limitlessly rich in grace and mercy. Do you feel it? Do you know it? It's a brokenness that we feel and that we see in us around us. Man, it's why so many people, they work so hard for so often, so long in their life to fix that spiritual poverty that they feel on the inside. 
That's why so many people try to fix that spiritual poverty with everything from relationship to relationship to more possessions to more status. They'll try to fix that with so many different things, but it only ends up leaving them feeling more spiritually broken, more empty on the inside, more spiritually poor. But this Jesus who knows, he sees He sees the parts of you that are broken that nobody else even knows about. And he doesn't run away. In fact, he wants to sit down in your life. And he wants to teach you that the blessings of God are available to you. He wants to bring you into his kingdom so you can experience his spiritual richness and blessing and real happiness despite circumstances if you come under his authority. Do you have a relationship with Jesus. Because this Jesus who is God, he really did see, he really can see everything. This Jesus is omniscient. He does know everything. He is God. But this Jesus who is God would also die on the cross to pay the price for our sin so that we could have that sin debt paid. But then the good news doesn't even stop there. He bodily rose from the dead, conquering that sin, conquering the grave providing a way for us so that we could get out of this spiritual bankruptcy and step into his kingdom of blessing. Look, it's us understanding and realizing just how spiritually we really are apart from Christ, but the fact is the Savior has come. Now, for the person in here who's already trusted in Jesus, it's realizing that every day you still need Jesus. It's realizing that you still need to understand every day that your debt has been paid. And remembering that your sin is no longer what defines you. Your sin no longer has a hold on you. It doesn't get to be Lord over you. Jesus does. Freedom is in Christ. But if you have opened up a line of credit again to that sin, grace wants to write a check again for you. It's kind of like what the author and the writer of Hebrews would say in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where he says, look, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the blessing that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For the believer in the room, look, you are still blessed when you realize just how poor in spirit you are. And when you realize every single day you still need this Jesus. Throwing off that sin that tries to easily entangle us again and again and fixing our eyes on the author and founder and perfecter of our faith. You know, last week we talked about how there's more strength that God wants to give you. There's more things that God wants to break down in your life. But there's more power that the Spirit wants to give you, far more abundantly. There's more that he wants to do in you and through you. You still need Christ every single day. And church, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record this morning, but I just want to challenge you one more time that you would take the next 21 days and you would commit it to prayer, and that you would seek the Lord. In fact, when you do this 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you look through the guide, one of the things that you're going to do, you're going to spend some time in prayer praising God for everything that he's done, 
praising him for who he is, recognizing and looking back to the incredible character of God, but you're also going to spend some time in confession and repentance. Because when we realize that, look, we still need him every day, that we're still spiritually poor, that we need to look to Christ, that there is a blessing when we recognize who he is and we still need him all the time. I want to challenge you, you will lean into fasting in this season because the blessing is realizing you still need Jesus every day. Something to know, something to feel, something to do. Number four, even in pain, there is a blessing from Christ that remains. Even in pain, there's a blessing from Jesus that still remains. Look, Matthew chapter five, verse four. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, they will be comforted. You know, the word mourn here simply means to lament. And lamenting is this emotional reaction to something painful. There's been some debate in this passage as to what exactly Jesus was telling his disciples to mourn. Look, was he telling them that they need to mourn their sin? He just said, look, blessed are those who are spiritually poor, that you recognize just how much your sin breaks you. So should you have a season where you're mourning your sin, you're recognizing how broken you are? Or was he telling them to mourn the effects of sin that they see around them, the evil that they see in the world, the misjustices that are done in the world? Which one of these things was Jesus telling his, his followers to mourn? I, want, I really do believe that it was both of those things. That he was telling them to mourn, look, when you sin, it does hurt the heart of God. And we should be broken over our sin. We should be broken when we have offended God and when we've offended others. But it's also the fact that we should mourn if we, when we see the effects of sin that are happening in our world as we experience the brokenness all around us as well. And I know sometimes when we think about mourning or grieving or lamenting, oftentimes we go through the most painful examples. Loss of a loved one. Man, someone's struggling through some type of terrible disease or watching a loved one struggle through some type of painful or terrible disease. But there are things that I think that we need to grieve and mourn that typically we don't usually think about but even when we mourn those things, God will bring in his healing. He will bring in his comfort. Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So here's a couple of things that maybe people don't think, typically think about to mourn over or to grieve over. And one of those might just be something like injustice. It is okay to grieve and lament when an injustice is being done to you or to someone around you. And when you see a war happening in a country, uh, when you see injustice happening to someone who has, um, they have no control. But one of the things that I love about our team going to Thailand right now, they're helping literally rescue kids from sex trafficking over there. And think about those injustices, we need to be broken by those things. And we should never become so numb to the things happening in the world that we don't seek God. We don't seek his comfort for us and seek his comfort for others. Another thing that maybe we don't typically think about that we might need a more to experience God's healing or his comfort is seasons ending. Look, when a season is over, 
whether we wanted it to be or not, it is okay to go through a season of mourn, of mourning, where we experience the grief caused by that, but we also submit it to Christ for his comfort. Again, for some of you, that may be the loss of a job. Again, when you wanted that job to be uh, over or not, but when it's over, it's okay to go through a season of lamenting or mourning. Now, for some of you, a season ending might be when you get married. Now, let me explain, okay? Look, as, as, much, as much happiness as getting married is, as great as it is, I think it was actually my father-in-law who once said that people getting married, two people getting married, it's like the death of two single people. Now, he was saying that because, look, you need a, you need a it's like you're dying to yourself and you want, you want to love one another, but he's also saying, look, a chapter of your life is now over. And it is okay, like, if you feel grief from that, if you feel grief that your, the relationship with the family that you grew up with is, is now different, if you feel grief that the friends that maybe you used to hang out with that you're not going to hang out with anymore uh, because now your spouse is your number one priority, that those relationships are different, is it okay to go through a season of grieving and even to mourn that things are now different? Maybe another season ending that we need to lament or even grieve in is, man, when school, when school changes, some of you guys are getting ready to graduate high school or even graduate college, and it's okay to grieve that some of those friends that you had all throughout high school and college, you may never see again after you leave. And you're going to experience all the feels with that, right? You're going to experience the, 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 the happiness of moving into this next season, but there's going to be some sadness that comes with that as well. Man, parents who have already gone through that or you're about to go through that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is okay to grieve or to mourn during that season because even in something small like that, God wants to bring in his comfort for you. He wants to help you. He wants you to submit that grief that you feel, not just dismiss it or ignore it, but submit that even to him. Man, all throughout scripture, we see people who have this deep relationship with the Lord who knew how to mourn well. And church, I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I want to challenge you that you would mourn well, that we would be a church that mourns well. You know, the psalmist would write in Psalm chapter 42, verses 3 through 6, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? But he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For shall I say again, for shall I again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Man, the psalmist said, look, my tears have been my food all day long. He was going through a season of lamenting. And he was saying, look, even in that painful season, people were saying, where's your God? Does he even care? But the psalmist says, look, I'm going to turn my attention back to the Lord. I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to trust him. In fact, I'm even going to tell myself, look, don't be downcast all the time. Put your hope again in the Lord. And it's hoping in the Lord, even in seasons of pain, that when we look to him, that he brings in his comfort. He brings in his grace. 
author and pastor Paul David Tripp, he says, he, says, he says it this way. He says, suffering is dangerous because it exposes your heart to temptations as never before. See, when you're going through a painful season of suffering or loss, it opens your heart to this temptation to move far from God. But he says, look, if you're in a season like that, and look, it exposes your heart to temptations as never before, but it is also a workroom for grace. God isn't emptying you of good things, but he's using hardship to fill you with the good things that only his grace can produce. Church, I want to challenge us all. Look, I, I know, and again, I know this is not a church growth message this morning, okay? But I know many of you have been through some seasons of grief this year. And again, no matter where that is, maybe it's been, um, maybe it is a loss of a job. Maybe, maybe a season that you're in is coming to an end. Maybe something that you loved and you cared about has gone to be with the Lord. I want to encourage you to mourn well. Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Here are some practical things that you can do if you're in a season of grief or mourning or loss. And these things are not linear. Uh, there's, there's no, like, set formula that's going to help fix grief. But all of this is part of the mourning process. All of this is taking time to say, God, as I mourn, would you please bring in your comfort? So you're going to see a list on the screen, and you can take a picture. You don't have to write all these things down. Uh, but I want to challenge you, look, if you're in a season of grief right now or mourning, that you would simply take some time. One of the things I've noticed with families as I've counseled them as they've been going through a season of loss, sometimes they're so busy doing all these arrangements and getting the funeral arrangements ready, um, taking care of their family members' um, belongings and assets and all these things. They're going through all these things like they haven't taken time to actually grieve. And sometimes you have to slow down. You simply need to take some time. It is okay to cry when you're mourning. Now, I know some people in here, maybe, maybe in particular men, are like, man, I don't cry. Like, I wasn't raised that way. My daddy didn't raise me that way. My grandpappy didn't raise me that way. I don't know if I can even say pappy in church anymore, but it is okay to cry. Man, the psalmist said, my tears have been my food, my bread, all day long. He was pouring out his tears. But he was grieving. It is okay to laugh. Look, it is okay if you're going through a season of mourning when, so, when something has ended, when you've lost someone that you cared about. It is okay to remember all the silly things that they did. It is okay to laugh about those things even with others. And if it's something like a job, like sometimes we can begin, if we're grieving the loss of that season, whether it's job or school, sometimes we only remember what was bad, but it's okay to look back and laugh at what brought you joy. Church, it's okay to vent. It's okay to pour out your heart before God. It's okay to pick up the phone and yell at the person that knows you and cares about you as if you were yelling directly at whatever that thing was that's causing you grief, it is okay to vent. It's okay to keep praying. In fact, I would challenge you that if you're in a season of grieving or loss, that you'll keep praying. Don't take Jesus out of the equation because blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. 
It's okay to still trust the Lord. It's okay to keep reading his word, even if you feel like maybe in those moments it's just words on a page. It's okay to keep reading his word and taking in his word. It's okay to keep worshiping him. Even if every time you open your mouth, there are just tears that come out. But it is okay to keep worshiping the Lord. And it is okay to talk to someone. Some of you right now, like you've gone through a season of grief. And you've taken it and you've tucked it down deep inside. You haven't told anyone about it. But I would challenge you, tell the Lord and tell someone. Whether that's a pastor, whether that's someone in your small group, don't keep it down in there. Look, Jesus said this mourning process that we go to, when you go through it, as you do these things, like he actually brings in his healing, he actually brings in his comfort. And again, church, I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen this year, but I really want to challenge all of us that we would be people who mourn well, that we would also help others mourn well as well. And here's a couple of things that you can do to help somebody else. So something to do when you're helping someone else who's mourning or going through a season of grief. The first thing is, look, don't say you understand if you don't. Look, if you don't understand what they're going through, that is okay. It's okay to just be there and to be present, but don't say you understand if you don't understand. Weep with those who weep. And Romans chapter 12 talks about how we need to empathize and sympathize with those who are going through seasons of grief. We weep with those who weep. Sometimes we simply need to listen and ask with humility. Look, one of the things I know is hard like even as a pastor, one of the things I know is hard is that when you know someone's been through a difficult time, some of the things that it was really hard to do is after maybe a season has passed, for you to ask that person how they're doing. Part of it is because we're afraid as to what's going to come out if you ask that. You're afraid as to what's going to come out and what they're going to say, and then you may not know what to say. Let me just say, like, that is okay. Check in on each other. Ask how they're doing. And I even say, look, specifically ask that person. Don't ask how everyone else around them is doing, but specifically ask them how they're doing. Listen with humility. And then beg the Lord for help, okay? Beg the Lord for help. God, what should I do in this moment? And sometimes the best thing you can do is nothing and just be there and listen and pray. And then the last thing is to pray for them and as I've been challenging to do, to pray with them, but also to provide. You know, sometimes when someone goes through a season of loss or grief, um, we can pray for them. But sometimes the best thing you need to do is maybe take them a meal or offer them a shoulder to be able to cry on. There's something that we can do when people are in seasons of mourning. Look, and as the worship team comes back up to the stage, this is a part of the message where I might say something to you like, look, that morning that you're experiencing right now, it's going to be turned into dancing. Look, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Look, God's going to have you see a brand new day, just like it says in Psalm chapter 30. This is the part of the message where I might say to you, like the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5, that we rejoice in our sufferings because even in those sufferings, look, God is working. In fact, he says that the suffering that we're going through, look, it's, perver it's, it's producing perseverance in you. 
As you go through a season of pain, look, God is building perseverance in you. He's building character in you. He's building a greater hope in you. And that hope in the Lord does not disappoint because his love has been poured out on us. This is part of the message where I would say in Christ, his grace is sufficient. That even in seasons of pain, look, his grace is sufficient for you. Church, I believe all of those things. But do you need to mourn? Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And maybe that's you today. As we sing this last song, I would challenge you that you would take a moment and then however God has been leading in this message during this time, maybe there's something that you need to mourn or lament or even grieve over. And maybe right there where you are, where you're sitting or standing when we sing this last song, maybe you just need to have a moment with the Lord. And maybe there's a season that you just need to vent to God about saying, God, I don't know why things ended that way. I don't know why they ended that way, God, and I'm, I'm upset about it still. But God, would you help me? God, would you comfort me? Maybe there's a sin right now that you do need to grieve over. Maybe right now, like during this last song, you say, God, I'm so sick and tired. I can't believe I went back to that sin again. God, I'm, I'm so tired of it. Lord, I don't want to do it anymore. God, would you forgive me again? God, would you help me again? God, would you comfort me again? Maybe right now you need to say, God, I don't know. I don't know why. God, I don't know why right now. I still miss that person so much. God, right now, Lord, I still don't understand why they had to go in the season that they did, Lord, and it still hurts every single day when I think about them. But Jesus, I know that you see me. I know you understand. I know you say, God, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So God, would you comfort me right now in this moment, Lord, I need you. So however God will lead you as we sing this last song, maybe you need to take a moment, vent to him, confess something to him, just beg him again for that comfort that only he can provide. Father God, um, again, Lord, I know this isn't um, a church growth message, but Lord, I'm so grateful that as you looked out on the crowd, Lord, as you saw every single thing about them, as you saw that whole crowd knowing, Lord, what they've been through, what they were going to go through, God, uh, their future, Lord, every single thought about them, God, even the pain they would experience, Lord, you saw them, and God, you sat down, and you said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, when we realize just how spiritually poor we are and we turn to you, God, the blessings that we get to come into your kingdom and experience what real happiness looks like. No matter our past, again, no matter what's happening around us, no matter our circumstances, but the joy of the Lord can be our strength. For Lord, I'm so grateful that you even looked at that crowd, God, and you said, blessed are those who mourn, those who lament, who go, who experience, Lord, pain and sadness, but who, who submitted to you. And I pray, God, that you would help us, even if we're in a season of pain or lamenting or brokenness or mourning, Lord, I pray that you would sit down in our lives 
so we can stand up under your grace. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.